Hey friends, this is Ashley coming to you before this episode starts. I just wanted to let you all know that I have a newsletter. It's also called Boss Barista and you can find all of our episodes along with full transcripts and articles about each episode at the newsletter. So go to bossbarista.substack.com and all of this stuff will just end up in your email. It's kind of like magic. So again, bossbarista.substack.com to find all of these episodes along with additional content. Thanks for listening and on to the show. Hey friends, welcome to Boss Barista, the podcast about workplace equity and employee empowerment in coffee and beyond. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. Hey friends, today I'm chatting with two members of the Sunnergoss Union, a group that represents all the hourly coffee workers at Sunnergoss Coffee in Louisville, Kentucky. The Sunnergoss workers won their union vote in January of 2023, and now They're waiting on leadership to bargain in good faith and work with the union to negotiate a contract. And, as you might guess, that process, particularly getting leadership to the bargaining table, has been trying at best. In this episode, we look closely at the process of unionizing after a union vote has gone through. Yes, winning a union vote is a huge victory, but there's so much that has to happen after that rarely gets reported on. For example, the workers at Sunergoss went on a one-day strike on July 17th to protest the lack of movement and action on the part of leadership to bargain and help ratify a first contract. And from all the research I did of the union before I recorded this episode, it feels like leadership has yet to make any statement on the union at all. Even though they won their union vote, workers are still fighting to have their voices heard. So here are Clove and Razia on behalf of the Sunnergoss Union. I am so excited to have two of the representatives of the Sunnergoss Union here with me today, and I was wondering if you could start by introducing yourself. I'll have Clove go first. Hi, my name's Clove Harrington. I use they, them pronouns. And I've worked at Sunnergoss for almost two years. And I'm Rizia Mahinovic. I use they, them pronouns, and I've worked at Sunnergoss for about eight months now. So I like to give a timeline of how the union has progressed, how we've gotten from the point that we're currently at to, you know, where, where things started. So, Clove, I was wondering if you could start by telling us where this union effort really began for you. Yeah. So we started it last June, June 1st, 2022. There was a company-wide meeting to talk about tip pooling and just the idea of tip pooling. We don't currently do that. And so the meeting was to talk about, to gather opinions about, is is this something we want to start doing? And just having conversations with my coworkers, we felt that we don't really care if we're pooling our tips or not. We just want to be making more money and don't really like the idea of tips in general and want a higher base wage. And when we brought that up at the meeting, a couple of my coworkers were written up for their tone in bringing it up. And that's the point when we were like, okay, we need a union to protect us and and move forward with this. There were whispers of it before a little bit, but that was the point that was like, okay, we got to start this. We got to get on this. And what point are you folks at right now? 
we are still in negotiations. So we won our union back in January and we are not even halfway there to finishing up our negotiation process. I want to talk a lot about the negotiation process because I feel like that's a part of the union story that often gets missed because when you look at news coverage of unions, it's like, oh, so-and-so won their union, but it's like, okay, that's that's like half the battle. There's still there's still a lot to happen. But I want to go back to that idea of wages. So as I was reading some information about Sunner Goss and barista wages, it seems like people are getting paid between like eight twenty-five to ten twenty-five an hour. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how much on average people are making and how that looks realistically in a place like Louisville, where according to the MIT living wage calculator, living wage for one person is sixteen seventeen an hour. Rizia, maybe you can jump in and talk about that. Yeah, for sure. I think this question gets really complicated just because we're talking about a tip system. And there are five different stores, each one having a different amount of business. So at my store, we can range anywhere from 17 to like 22 on a good day. Another store might only be 15. Sometimes the tip machine doesn't work. So you're only getting like 1025. And it just points to the major issue that I think everyone has noticed, which is we're doing all of this work, not getting paid very much money. Yeah. We also have a pay cap at Sunnergoss. And so that's why in you've seen a quote from a worker saying like, I've worked here four years. I only make 12, 25 an hour. And that's because they've hit the pay cap. So Sunnergoss has always done raises like twice a year, but then once you hit the pay cap, you can't go any higher than that. Has that pay cap changed at all, like over time or to meet living wage standards or inflation standards? Not that I know of. Yeah, no, I, as far as I know, the pay, the uh, base wage has been the same for a while. What were some other issues that were coming up for you folks as you guys started talking about Maybe we want a union. Maybe we need to think about some collective action. What were some of the themes that you started seeing? And I'll have Clove jump in first there. I feel like there's a lot of other ones right now, but I think a big thing with us winning our union is just like a general sense of respect from upper management and the owners. Because it really, that has not been a pattern. And just like respect and value of work. Because saying that you value your workers means nothing if you're not doing anything to back that up materially. So if I'm making eight twenty-five an hour, you know, baristas are starting at eight twenty-five an hour. That doesn't show that you respect or value the work that we're putting in. So you're talking about this wage cap for you folks. What does it feel like to know this is this this is it? Like this is the most that I can make at this company. What does it say to you about the way that management or leadership views the value of your work? And I'll have Razia jump in on that one. I mean, put simply, it just I, it indicates that they don't really value my work or that they're relying a lot on the kindness of others to ensure that I have a living wage which is just a really unfair standard to set, especially when everyone that I know that works for Synergos works so much, works so well, is really passionate about their job, is consistently working to be a better barista. I mean, we've entered the world of like quality coffee. And so to know that one, our pay, pay is $8.25 when we have a lot of experience, that's insulting. But then to know that they're expecting so much work for me and to consistently provide 
a good experience for everyone, but that they will only pay me up to $12 knowing that that will not pay my rent. It's just insulting and disrespectful and it sends a clear message to me and everyone else that they just don't care about the work that we're doing and that ultimately they feel like we are replaceable and they can just pay somebody else $12.25 if I don't want that. Clove, I want to talk about people who have worked at Sundergoss for a couple of years, people who have really put time and effort into the company because it seems like this idea that we're maybe going to pay people only a certain amount of money relies on the idea of transience, that people will come and go. And I'm wondering if that's an attitude that you've seen at Sundergoss. Oh, absolutely. I think having a pay cap in general just really exposes that they are of the idea that being a barista is just a part-time like seasonal job. And so we don't deserve a living wage necessarily. They've told us before that they see Sunargas being a barista as just a job for a season and that you're we're selling ourselves short if we don't move up to a management position or like go start our own coffee shop or do something other than just just being a barista. And I say like just in quotes, because we all know that it's actually a very difficult job and we put a lot of work and uh, like care and attention into it and a lot of skill also. Yeah, that's such a interesting thing to tell your staff, especially because the shop doesn't exist without you. Right, exactly. So you folks won your union vote in January. And again, I wanted to go back to that idea of negotiation because that's, for me, that's the part that I don't hear people talk about as much, if only because it feels like the victory has already been accomplished. But really, the victory is getting a contract. So maybe you can take me to like the very, like the moment that you folks won. Like, what did that feel like? And then what did it feel like immediately realizing like, oh, we actually still have a lot of work to do. Clove, I'll have you go first. And then maybe I'll have Razia jump in as well. Yeah, I mean, winning was an amazing feeling. It did feel like the biggest victory ever, especially because we're talking about a time frame of June to January at that point and so many hours. And I think what people also don't necessarily talk about or realize is that like union organizing is is not paid. Like we're all doing this in addition to the work that we're doing for Center Goss. And so it was just months and months and months of that. But yeah, and then after winning, realizing that okay, this is not over. Now we're going to have to negotiate with these same people that were trying to stop us from having this in the first place. It was like a, I don't want to say like, oh shit moment, but yeah, it was like a, okay, like the fight's not over. This is round two and it's going to be maybe even more difficult. I was really excited. I came in to Synergos. The union drive had already started happening and I was quite antsy and excited to see where it would go. I was, I mean, I've been pro-union from the start. And it was really exciting to know that I was going into what could potentially be a union coffee shop, because I think that's just like the dream in terms of being a barista is having a seat at the table for the company that you work for. But then, you know, after we won our union and the negotiations started, it just became apparent that there was this feeling from management that this was going to be something really easy and that we would bend to their will and that it was still, they would not allow us the power to make decisions. And that even though we won our union and won union power, it was still their business. And this just like stark realization that they were not willing to meet us in the middle 
or at all, frankly, it was just their way or the highway. And that's when I realized that this was like definitely an uphill battle and that we had a lot of work ahead of us. I think something that comes up a lot in union conversations is that this is about money. And certainly it is. Money is a a subsect of what this is about. But when I hear people talk about negotiating or like talking to their bosses, it, it becomes clear that it's much more about power and control. And I want to talk a little bit more about that. I'm like saying that out loud so that I can ask you more about it later. But I want to keep on the topic of negotiating. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about like the nuts and bolts of it. Like how often have you folks sat down? What did it look like when you sat down with management or leadership? Have they been avoidant? Like, I know that's a lot of questions, but maybe you can walk me through some of those things if you can. I'm not sure how much you can say it to that topic. So maybe Razia, you can jump in first. Yeah. So we've had a total of six negotiations, negotiation meetings so far. I Honestly, we haven't made much progress we it feels like we haven't even i mean we haven't come to any tentative agreements so it feels like we are just talking at each other for the sake of talking there's i mean avoidant is a great way to describe it i think they know that if they meet with us genuinely they will lose some of the power that they have and i think you know the fact they haven't hired a lawyer until recently has really really affected us in the ways that we can move forward because ultimately when they say they don't know how to negotiate in a way that a union would, it gives them some semblance of of power in terms of, well, we don't have to do it your way. We can do it this way. So it's just been a very frustrating process because we haven't gotten anywhere and it's been months since we've won our union and we've just been talking at them while they've been nagging at us and lecturing us on things that don't actually matter. Can you speak more to that? Yeah, I mean, I think the best example, which we mentioned earlier, was just that they look at us and tell us that if our jobs aren't paying enough or if we are unhappy with certain things that we want to negotiate on, why we just don't leave. And in those moments, it's really hard to negotiate because you have recognized that your employer just doesn't value you as an employee and doesn't value your labor. So it just becomes a very frustrating negotiation process where they are trying to exert as much control and power as possible. That feels like such a bizarre and misguided viewpoint to take as leadership, because I think that one of the things that people miss when it comes to union organizing is that in a way, it's really workers saying, like, we care about this job. Like, we want to work here. We're trying to make this viable, not just for ourselves, but for anybody who steps into the room. So to be told that, like, the love and care that you take for your workplace and the work that you do is wholly unimportant and you should just go is like really sad actually it's really sad it just really like goes to show how much of a difference in value there is meeting with the owners of like where you work and yeah to be told essentially point blank that they don't value your labor i think that's what you Mm -hmm. said already but it's very frustrating and it's honestly very insulting to be doing so much work to prove that we want to stay at this job and we care about this job and we like this job and we just need to be making more money. And also not even just need to be making more money, but we need the company to do what they say they want to do, which is to take care of the community and take care of baristas. 
And so, like I said earlier, you can say that all you want, but they're not actually doing anything to prove that. And in fact, they're saying and doing things to prove the opposite. And so, yeah, it's just, it's been interesting. And it's, hearing that question specifically was, was wild. Especially in an era where we demand so much from workers, especially like hourly workers or people who work in service industries, we expect loyalty. We expect like perfect customer service. We expect the performance of emotional labor. And then to be told like, actually, you can just leave is pretty, pretty insulting. And also just misses the point of like what makes your business actually valuable like people come to coffee shops to see baristas and to enjoy like the fruit of their labor to enjoy the beautiful coffee that you folks make right and i had a customer just last week come in and say oh i came in the other day and i didn't recognize any of the people working here what's going on like are you all hiring new people and essentially being like upset that the turnover is so high like cuz we're the ones building relationships with these people and so if you're telling us to just leave, it's like, okay, do you want us to not form relationships with this? You know, like it to want your turnover to be high or just tell your employees that if they want better, just go find it somewhere else because we're not going to provide that for you. We're not going to give that to you. And you're asking for too much, like asking for a living wage is asking for too much. And you're not going to find that here. When you first went to the negotiation table, what did that look like for you folks that are part of the union and part of the committee? How did you folks decide on what things you wanted to present to the Sunder Goss leadership? And how did you vote on those things or come to a consensus on what was important to you? Before we even went to the, the table in the first place, we were holding meetings for anyone that works at Sunder Goss, all the baristas, to see what was really important to people. We sent out surveys to really gather what everyone's priorities were and what they wanted out of this contract, because there's five of us on the committee, but we know that it's not just the five of us like making all the decisions. This is a collective effort, and we wanted it to be representative of everyone. And the committee also, before even going to the table, met at least three times to talk about proposals and really just go through like section by section and make sure that it was really solid before presenting it to the owners. What were some of the things that were the most important to you besides, I mean, we've talked a lot about wages. Are there other things that you really wanted to get across to ownership or things that you wanted to have codified in a contract? Yeah. Besides wages, I think some of the other things that we looked at were, you know, when you're calling in the procedure for that disciplinary procedures and what to do in cases of bad weather, when the store closes, do we get paid? or not? Who do we contact because of that? Do we even have a say in what store closes and which one doesn't? Louisville has a really turbulent weather pattern. So one day it can be great. And then overnight, suddenly there is an ice storm and we don't get any say in figuring out whether we're going to go in or not. It's just management that doesn't really know our unique experiences in terms of where we're coming from, what kind of car we have. And so that is one big thing that we've really wanted is to just have a seat at the table in terms of making those decisions that directly affect us and our pay. I love the phrase, the seat at the table. I think it's one that's used a lot, but I think that it really exemplifies what it means to unionize. Because as we were talking about earlier, unionizing is about saying, hey, we we care about this place and we want to make it better for everybody here. 
and we want a say in what that looks like. And we as the baristas, the people who work here every day, like we have opinions about that. We know what our jobs are like. We want you to trust us to tell you what our experiences are like. And it goes back to that idea of power as well, that we don't want to just be told, hey, you have to do this, you have to do that and take it or leave it. But like, hey, we actually have control over what our day to day looks like. And it seems just based on like what I've read about unionizing and the lack of response from ownership. I haven't seen a single quote from ownership in any of the news articles that I looked at. It seems like that ownership, like it's it, to me, it seems like ownership wants their, their power to be unquestioned, but they also don't want to justify it. Right. And I think a lot of this battle has been about power truly. And the reason we unionized in the first place was to gain more power as workers to where it isn't just like, one guy's word is law and we have to follow whatever upper management says and we don't get a say because Sunargas claims to value transparency, but that's never been the case. And so we've just been looking for more like actual transparency so that we can, we're the ones doing the work every day. We're the ones that show up to the store and open the store and talk to customers and serve coffee without us. It wouldn't happen. And so why wouldn't, why shouldn't we deserve a say in what our working conditions are and what we experience day to day? There's also something too, and maybe maybe this is out of scope. Maybe we're only talking about retail employees in this scenario. But there's something to me as I was as I was thinking about Sunergoss, I was like, oh, Sunergoss is also a roastery. What does it say about Sunergoss as a company that buys green coffee from farmers if they can't confidently say like we believe in our baristas and we're going to pay them a living wage like this has implications across the supply stream right exactly and the the people that work in the roastery i think only get paid 10 an hour and they're untipped we also also have our own bakery to make all of our food that we sell the bakery people make about 10 or 11 they're also untipped you know and so there's a whole process of like buying the bean and then roasting it and then it coming to the baristas and then us serving it to the community. And we at Summergoss are very highly trained as far as like specialty coffee goes. I've worked at two other loca- uh, two other coffee shops in Louisville and never received the amount of training that we still go through at Summergoss. I've worked here two years and every couple months I have to do a steaming milk module or an espresso training just to refresh our skill, make sure that we're elevating our craft. They want us to be very, very dedicated to this without valuing the like the level of value versus the level of what they expect from us does not add up. Just to clarify, the union, is it covering that entire group of workers that you discussed or is this just for the retail employees? It's the entire group. It's any hourly worker at Sunnergoss. So it's roastery and bakery people as well. Right. So going back to the negotiations that you folks have had and the fact that the center Goss leadership have just hired lawyers. There seems to be some level of like willful ignorance happening here. Like, oh, we don't know what to do. We just hired a lawyer, which seems wild to me. But, you know, what do I know? And I'm wondering if that's like the sense that you folks have felt like, oh, we don't know how to do this or we can't bargain because we don't know. Let's finally hire a lawyer. It seems like it's a, a it's willful ignorance in favor of stalling. Yeah, it 100% is. When you can say that 
you don't, you've never done this before. You've never had to meet a negotiation table. It allows you to make quote unquote mistakes that we should somehow forgive. Or if you're not doing something correctly, that it's not necessarily your fault. And it's just, it just feels like a lot of gaslighting when they, you know, when we point out that they've done something wrong or that they're not following the standard procedure or negotiating in good faith, they can just come back and say, well, we didn't know what good faith even meant. Um, and it just gets us right back to square one where we're like, this, you should take us seriously. We are not just children sitting in front of you. You are not our parents giving us life advice. We are your employees. You are a boss and we are demanding things of you. And it's your responsibility to meet us where we're at and to accept what, not necessarily accept our demands, but to listen to our demands and respect that we are autonomous employees. Especially, too, in light of the fact that, like, Louisville's going through a union renaissance, it seems. Like, you have Heine Brothers, who I believe just ratified a union. I'm not 100% sure on that. And you have other Starbucks locations who are unionizing. Like, that's not something you should be clueless about in, like, this day and age in 2023, it seems. It seems like that the environment is ripe for people to understand what unionizing looks like. So it's 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 a little bit strange that willful ignorance has been like the route to go. And again, going back to like, I looked through a bunch of articles and I was like, I cannot find a single quote from the owners of this business. I think there's also, yeah, I think there's also something to say that this is our first time doing this as well. I've never sat at a negotiation table. I tried to help unionize a Starbucks a couple of years ago, but I this is our first time doing this as well. We didn't know what we were doing before this, but we've taken it seriously and done our research and chosen to show up and do the work and get it done. And that is just not, it feels like that is entirely foreign to them at this point. And it, it's interesting with Sunargas because it feels like they're trying to union bust now after the election has been one and they're trying to union bust through negotiations even and just not take us seriously at all and yeah it's about power like you said they don't want to lose it i'll go on record saying this over and over but it's wild to me when people don't bargain in good faith or negotiate in good faith because it's like the press you would receive for that even if it's from a completely selfish perspective i'm always like oh my god like Everyone would write articles about you, Center Goss, and everyone would go to Center Goss because they'd be like the unionized coffee shop. It's, you know, and, and again, it goes back to this idea of like it's always about power. It's never about money. It's never about publicity. It's always about power. Yeah, absolutely. Like speaking of Piney Brothers, they announced their intent to organize a little before we did. And part of our unionization process was seeing Piney Brothers do it and say like, oh, well, if they're doing it, we can too. And we can jump on that bandwagon and together like change not only like the coffee industry in Louisville, because Louisville is such a big coffee city, but just the service industry in Louisville as a whole and like the hospitality industry, I guess, as a whole. And so seeing Heine Brothers do it and, you know, win their contract really gives us a lot of hope, I guess. Although Heine Brothers and Sunrise are very different. I think you're speaking a little bit to this idea that there's a larger movement happening in Louisville and in cities in general. It seems like more and more people are are reckoning with the idea that 
service workers deserve unions, that service workers are not transient workers, that they want stability, that they deserve stability because every job deserves dignity and a living wage. And I wonder for you folks, have you seen a transformation in the way that customers understand what you do? Do you see people expressing solidarity more and more? Like, what has the vibe been like in Louisville as a whole? And I know that that's a big topic to speak to, but I wonder if you're feeling this phase shift, if you're feeling this like turning of culture happening. I think I have for sure. I mean, our support from our customers has been amazing. There's been so many people that have reached out and just asked like how they can help. I've seen a definite uptick in cash tips because that's a big thing too, is people want to come in and like tip us for our work. That's changed a lot, I think. And also just in general in Louisville, even outside the service industry, there's a lot of other places unionizing. I know Trader Joe's in Louisville, Lush, the Lush store in Louisville. There's a pizza place called Pizza Lupo that got voluntary recognition actually. And so it's just been really, really cool to see this kind of wave of everywhere, everywhere following suit and standing up for themselves and standing up for workers' rights and everything like that. Also, a lot of our customers are, at least at my store, a lot of our customers are fellow service industry folks. And so it's been cool to like talk to them as well and maybe nudge them to like unionize their own workplace. I feel like it always comes back to power. And I feel like one of the things that this union effort also does from an optics perspective is give you the power to tell others about what your workday is like. Because you were talking earlier about how Center Ghost talks about transparency and about taking care of the community. And as a union, you're able to say, like, actually, this is what our day-to-day looks like, as opposed to leadership being able to control the narrative of what your day-to-day looks like. And that probably affects the way that con- like customers treat you. So being able to say, like, actually, like this is what our real lives look like has probably been really powerful, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I had a lot of customers who were really shocked to find out that Sunrise starts at 8.25 an hour. And just knowing that fact immediately made them, again, want to show their support or just like have an actual conversation. I think something really interesting about the service industry and going back to that idea of performance is that at least for me, I appreciate the customers who come in and see that this is a job that I'm working and that we can talk about it as a job and as work and as labor and not expect me to like put on a smile and perform for them while I hand them coffee, if you know what I mean by that. For people who want to support you, what's the best way to do that? Both in Louisville, maybe we can break this into two, but in Louisville and just broadly. I mean, we have an Instagram account. It's Sunergoss Union, and you'll find a link to the community support petition on there. Anything that customers can do just to show that they support what we're doing. I mean, call the store, ask to talk to upper management if you want, tell them you support what we're doing. I think something that is important to say in all of this is that a boycott doesn't help. Again, we love our jobs, and I I, I like working at Sunergoss, and a boycott doesn't help the workers i mean yeah tip tip when you come in talk to your baristas about and just yeah come into the stores if you're in louisville and let us know that you're in support of what we're doing really yeah and don't cross a picket line i think comes in handy with what everything that's going to be going on soon you know don't boycott us but if we've expressed that we're not going into work 
you shouldn't expect us to then provide you coffee. Yeah, don't cross the line. <laughs> <laughs> That's good advice for anybody for any union really. So yeah. I'm glad mm-hmm. that I'm glad that you stuck that in as we follow the writers union. And I think even this morning, the screen actors guild also yeah. went on strike as well. So don't cross the picket line. Chloe, Razia, thank you so much for joining me. This has been really informative and I really appreciate that you gave us a behind the scenes look at what the negotiation process looks like. And I hope that you're able to get the contract that you deserve. Those were two representatives of the Senegoss Union in Louisville, Kentucky. As both of my guests mentioned, there are lots of ways that you can show your support for the Senegoss Union. Go to their Instagram account, Senegoss Union, to find out more. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. I'm just looking for a better day. Boss Barista is produced by me, Ashley Rodriguez. You can find a transcription of this episode on my newsletter, along with an accompanying article about this episode every Thursday at bossbarista.substack.com. To support the show, you can visit www.patreon.com bossbarista. We have over 80 patrons supporting the show right now, which is incredible. And that helps keep the show alive. We pay guests through this fund, we pay for website hosting, and we make donations. Half of our patron donations are currently pledged to five different nonprofits, each at $50 a month. Asada's Daughters, the Loveland Foundation, the Native American Rights Fund, the Grocery Run Club, and the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Again, if you want to support Boss Barista, consider making a monthly donation at www.patreon.com bossbarista. Another amazing way to support the show is to share this episode with just one person, a friend, someone who you think would learn something from this episode, anybody. Sharing on social media is also a huge help, along with giving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. As a small production, these things matter a lot. So if you can take a little time, share out some of your favorite quotes from this episode, and tag us. That would be amazing. We're at Boss Barista Podcast on Instagram and Boss underscore Barista on Twitter. You can also send me an email at BossBaristaPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.